Hello, everybody listening to my show out there in internet radio land. Welcome to the show, Church of the Soul's Evolution. I'm the Reverend Blake Ruby, and I've got some things planned for you today. Let me tell you about how my day has been so far. I woke up this morning, and we went to a Toastmasters Club meeting at 9.30 here in San Antonio. And there was 10 people there, and it was so interesting. I like Toastmasters. I need it. I need that public speaking. We're always trying to develop ourselves, aren't you? I mean, to stay abreast of all the competition in this world, we need to challenge ourselves and improve ourselves in different areas of our life to include professional development, exercise. Everything we do is measured on a competitive level, even going to the bathroom, believe it or not, I think. At least that's the way I feel sometimes. And it's all good, you know, because it helps make us better. Right now, that's where we are in our evolution. Competition is where it's at. Maybe later on, we'll have more cooperation and corroboration as we learn to deal with each other and compromise and also resolve our differences by talking with each other. Reminds me of that song. Have you ever heard of a song called Second Chance by a 38 Special? They're a Southern rock band. I don't know where they are nowadays. The lead singer is Donnie Van Zandt, who is the brother of Ronnie Van Zandt, who was the lead singer for Leonard Skinner, and it goes like this. Since you've been gone, I feel my life slipping away. I look to the sky, and everything is turning gray. All I made was one mistake. How much more do I have to take? Why can't you think it over? Why can't you forget about the past? When love makes a sound, babe, a heart needs a second chance. Don't put me down, babe. Can't you see I love you? Since you've been gone, I've been a trance. This heart needs a second chance. Don't say it's over. I just can't say goodbye. And it goes on. Um, please forgive me and forget it. I was wrong and I admit it. Why can't we talk it over? Why can't we forget about the past? When love makes a sound, babe, a heart needs a second chance. There's something to remember, my friends. We're all hearts, you know, living heartbeats. That's what we are. Walking miracles of creation where our hearts are beating independently of our wills, you know. On my show, I change subjects fast. You know, I like don't like sticking on one subject. I just say what comes to my mind, you know, and I try to speak the truth always because there's so much disinformation out there. <laughs> hey, a couple of dogs came out. Don't you go stop barking now. I'm doing my radio show. Thank you very much, Goldie. Good dog. Good dog. That's our American Pitbull Terrier, Goldie. Hold on. Let me close the door. 
she's got a pit bull head. She just barges in with her head, touches the door with her head, you know. She's a very, very strong dog. I call her super dog, super dog, because she can run fast and she can jump very high. And she's very muscular, you know, the way she walks. She's a female, you know, but still, she's very muscular. And she's always given her little dog, the dachshund, Mr. Beta. I don't like that name, Mr. Beta. Always giving him a hard time, but he's a, I call him Mighty Dog. And we have another dog, a smooth fox terrier. I call, her name is Shakira, and I call her Ninja Dog. Ninja Green Eyes also, because when she gets excited, her eyes just flash green. This green, like in the, even at, in the day, you can see him, especially at night, though. So the truth is all about my show. I am a Christian. I call myself a Christian more than any other religion, but I'm more spiritual. I'm fulfilling the law of the universe, my friends, which is to develop ourselves spiritually. How about you? Are you developing yourself spiritually? Or when was the last time you thought about God? You know, the signs on the side of the road, think God. Because, oh my God, we're in such a situation right now, are we not? An incredible situation where once upon a time, many, many, many years ago, there was this huge explosion and the universe began to form itself, the physical universe. One solar system after another, one galaxy after another, when one galaxy had been filled with the requisite amount of solar systems, if you will, then a new galaxy began to form, one solar system after another, and there are so many galaxies out there. Oh, my God. Oh, my Jesus. Yes. And don't you know that the whole universe is held in existence by the might of the Creator? All these planets revolving around their suns, rotating on their axes of power, no matter what you want to call it, gravity, whatever, right? Whatever you want to call it, it's a power that was put into place by a supreme being. And if you don't believe that, do you think it all happened by accident? Well, you'll find out one day that it didn't happen by accident. That's all I can say. Besides, you're God in the making. Like it says in my website, in BBS Radio, we are all co-creator gods in the making. Jesus said that, they used to say that, now it says, Jesus said, you are gods. You have to believe that. We are gods. If you can die, if you have a heart, if you have a brain, then you are a god in the making. You're going to live this life, hopefully live to be a ripe old age, and move on to this place in the sky, spirit in the sky, you know that song? When I die and lay me to rest, gonna go to a place that's the best. When I lay me down, die, going up to the spirit in the sky, going up to the spirit in the sky. That's where I'm gonna go when I die. When I die and lay me to rest, I'm gonna go to the place that's the best. Okay, here comes one of our, here comes Mr. Beta. I gotta let him in. Be right back. Hey, buddy. How's it going, man? And then the second verse goes, 
Prepare yourself. You know it's a must. Gotta have a friend in Jesus. So you know that when you die, he's gonna recommend you to the spirit in the sky. Gonna recommend you to the spirit in the sky. That's where you're gonna go when you die. When you die and they lay you to rest, you're gonna go to the place that's the best. Third verse is never been a sinner. I've never sinned. I got a friend in Jesus. So you know that when you die, he's going to set you up with the spirit in the sky. Going to set you up with the spirit in the sky. That's where you're going to go when you die. When you die and they lay you to rest, you're going to go to the place that's the best. Go to the place that's the best. Got some nice guitar riffs in there. Norman Greenbaum, 1967 or 68. Spirit in the sky, what's he talking about? What do you think? What's that world on fire out there that you don't even recognize, that we don't think about much? Take it for granted, don't we? You know we'd be where we'd be today without a sun? Like we'd be dead. Just like that. Clicking your finger. Be, that's how fast it would be. If the sun extinguished itself, we'd be gone in a second. But what keeps it burning? Take that for granted, too. We do, don't we? Well... I think it's burned for millions of years already. I think it should burn for a few million more. I'm guessing. Don't know for sure. But yeah, thank you, God, for the sun. And all the other suns that are out there that people call stars, you call them stars too. But also, you got to know in your mind that they really are suns, just like our sun, which is a G2 white dwarf main sequence star. I'm going to read to you from my favorite book called Abduction to the Ninth Planet. And I've read to you before different parts of the book. This chapter is new, and it will address the first people on Earth. And no, the first people on Earth were not Adam and Eve. That's a fantasy. And I can prove it logically. Logically, God who can look into the future, right? Because God is omniscient into the past, present, and future. God would not create a being whom he knew in advance by looking into the future that they would disobey him and then he would punish them. That does not make sense. Period. And a woman made out of Adam's rib? Are you kidding me? You really need to make a woman out of a rib? Why? Why can't you just make a woman the same way you make Adam, supposedly, you know, if you believe that? But I'm going to tell you who the first people on Earth really were, okay? Some people say that they originated in Africa. Well, that's not true either. What, you say? Yes, I'm going to read to you who the first people on Earth were. And this, my friends... is the truth. And you will recognize it. Maybe not right away. You might wake up in the middle of the night and say, hey, you know, Blake, it's right. I just had a dream. That's what really happened. Oh my God. I didn't know this. I got to share this with other people. Anyway, I'm going to take a drink of water. Before I start reading, let me tell you something. I've been going back and forth what is the best professional development to prepare myself to be 
a public speaker, a paid public speaker, to be able to handle any public speaking situation. I'm a member of three Toastmasters clubs. And I've broken it down to three parts. And I love telling you about myself because I've got nothing to hide. You know, I take cold showers. I sleep on my back with a wedge pillow. I have sleep apnea. I served 22 years in the Army. I still work for the Army over 40 years now. I donated one of my kidneys to my son in 1995. I've been living with one kidney since then. I find all the best ways of doing things. I seem to be an experimenter, my friends. That's what I do. I try things. If they don't work, then I give them up and I try something else. Well, sometimes you've got to try things a few times before you're able to determine if that's the right way of doing things. And those three things I mentioned for professional development, I go kind of back and forth. But hopefully I am continuing to develop myself. It's a rocky road I travel, my friends, but somebody's got to do it. I don't mind sharing with you what I've learned. And a lot of what I've learned, I've learned from other people. So I share that with you. It's really coming from them, most of the stuff. The stuff that's my own, I piece together like parts of a jigsaw puzzle, one piece at a time. And I create my reality system that way. And I've been doing that for 68 years now in my life. But most recently over the last, let me see, 30 years or so, I've been pretty, ever since I joined the Army, I was on my way to being the best version of myself I can be. However, I got into alcoholism my first years in the Army. I won't go into all the details. I don't want to frighten you. <laughs> but suffice it to say, and I know I talked about alcohol in the last show. I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> I just love, I love, you know, deviating. I love branching away. It's something I can't do in Toastmasters meeting. You only got like one to two minutes to speak for table topics, and you've got five to seven minutes to speak for your speeches. Not much more than that, you know. And just when you start getting warmed up, then you have to stop. And that's really no fun. That's why I love my radio show. And that's what I recommend, my friends. If you have enough money and you're passionate about a subject, get your own radio show with BBS Radio. It's a great way to improve your public speaking skills, talking for an hour about whatever you want to talk about. I invite guests sometimes. I invited this one guest, Kate Montana. She'd be out, I'd be out there listening right now. And... She said she couldn't do it because her book is coming out and she needs to concentrate on that, apparently. But around the December time frame, she will be contacting me and I'll have her on my show. And if you'd like to be on my show, just get with Doug or Don. I know they send out these emails asking not only people want to be guests on my show, but any show. You know, so they don't care whose show they come on. Just as long as they get on a show and they've got a lot to share whether it's about their books or their paid speakers or they believe in angels or dreams, whatever, you know. And sometimes I get lost, but I go back to what I'm saying, what I was saying before eventually. I was talking about public speaking and the things I do in my life, those three things. Reading from a book, that's what I have determined is the best thing you can do if you're frightened about public speaking, if you're going to give a speech, if you want to, if you're going to talk in front of people, a large group of people, 
practice reading from a book out loud. Just anything. Grab any book. Stand up. Don't sit down. And read from it. And I guarantee you, it will help you. Like I said, I'm an experimenter. I tried these different methods. I tried from a computer, reading aloud from a computer, like voice, some voice actors do, right? But the thing about that is your eyes will get strained from the glare of a computer. When you read from a book, your eyes will focus on the words, and there's no light on a book. So thereby, I give the, the nod to reading from a book as being better than reading from a computer because the focus of your eyes is more important. Now, you have to hold the book, and you can be hands-free with the computer, but still, I think the advantage is to reading from a book. As far as reading from a book, standing up, just plain reading, compared to sitting down and reading, it's stressful on the back, you know, and it's not really relaxing. So I think the best professional development is reading from a book. And that's where... I'm going to focus on it like I've done before many times. But the thing is, with other facets of my life, like exercise or some other area of my life, then I've got sleep apnea. I'll go to bed and maybe I'll stop breathing. I'm 68 years old and I've got one kidney. I broke my back a long time ago. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that maybe that's the reason why I've got sleep apnea. I don't use a CPAP. I tried the CPAP machine, but it didn't work to drive my sinuses. I tried the dental therapy device. That didn't work. Now I just try to get as much quality sleep as I can. And I've been trying things like putting a cap on my head, you know, keeping my head warm at night, wearing socks, or even wearing gloves, and anything to sleep well. You know, my idea of a good night's sleep is waking up in the morning with my sinuses clear, breathing clearly, cleanly through my nose. That's my idea of a good night. If I can do that, I'm happy. But it doesn't always happen. As with millions of other Americans, right, also who have sleep apnea, are you one of them? If you're not, then you're lucky. You're blessed. And that's good. I'm happy for you. But other people aren't so fortunate. For whatever reason, you know, sleep apnea might be associated with running. It might be because it's all about breathing through the mouth instead of the nose, you know. And at night when you're sleeping, that's when you snore, you open your mouth. A lot of people do it. Tom Cruise is a is a very avid snorer, for lack of a better way of putting it. Avid. You like that? Anyway, back to the book. The First Man on Earth. And please internalize this. This is the truth, okay? I'm going to take a drink, and here I go. So... This extraterrestrial is talking to Michael, who was uh, the man who was abducted or just taken against his will, I guess you could say. But he was treated very well. For 10 days, he visited their planet, Thiouba, in the Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy. Supposedly, they're one of the three most advanced technologically and spiritually in the Milky Way galaxy. They're hermaphrodites, about nine feet tall, extremely intelligent. And the one who's doing the talking here, her name, his, her name is Thio, T-H-A-O. Michael is the author of the book. He since passed away. May God bless his, God bless his soul. He was a great man, a very advanced soul. They said he did a, a regression in time. He went back and saw some of his past lives. It's all there in the book, Abduction to the Ninth Planet or Thiouba, the Golden Planet. 
And he said that he had 82 past lives. But some people could have as much as 200 past lives. How about you? How many past lives do you have, my friend? Not that many, you say? Well, here's from the book. Michael, 1,350,000 years ago, precisely, on the planet Bucaturini of the constellation Centaur, a decision was made by the leaders of that planet following numerous conferences and reconnaissance expeditions to send inhabited vessels to the planets Mars and Earth. There was a very simple reason for this. Their planet was cooling down internally and would become uninhabitable within 500 years. They thought with good reason that it was preferable to evacuate their people to a younger planet of the same category. And I've talked about this before in other shows. The universe is divided into nine categories of planets. A number one is like planet Earth, a planet of the lowest evolutionary category, which means there's a lot of war and killing going on throughout its history. People are learning basic social values, how to love each other, and we still don't love each other very well, do we? But we're learning. I think I've seen a lot of good progress. There's a lot of decent people in the world today, loving people, family-oriented people who don't want war, who want peace. And it's a slow process, my friends. We're getting there, but it just takes a long time. Please have faith, and don't forget to pray your prayers, okay? Don't forget to pray. We need your prayers. Everyone needs to pray, please. Remember what I said before in my last show? This guy had an earth experience, and he, his car flipped over end over end. Yes, believe it or not, that things happen. That Those things happen sometimes. Cars do crash on highways. And he was thrown from the wreckage. His car caught on fire. He had a gaping head wound. He had a near-death experience. He met God face-to-face. God said to him, man will pray on man until man learns to pray for man. You get that? Pray, P-R-E-Y, compared to P-R-A-Y. Learn it. Internalize it, please. Internalize that. Pray. Your prayers are are needed, please. Everyone, pray. That way we're going to save our planet. We're going to save our civilization for our children and their children all the way into the future, and we can have peace and no more war as we evolved. Category 9 planet is the top of the list, just like heaven almost, with a golden atmosphere, a beautiful ecosystem where the animals don't eat each other. There's no pollution, no air pollution, no pollution of any kind, and where everyone lives in harmony, and they love each other. They love, they adore each other, they love each other. And we're getting there, okay? Let me continue reading. What do you mean by the same category? I will explain later. To do so now would be premature. Going back to these people, I must tell you that these beings were human, very intelligent and highly evolved, a black race. They had thick lips, flattened noses, and frizzy hair, resembling in these ways, the blacks are now living on Earth. These people had inhabited the planet Bacchorini for 8 million years in cohabitation with a yellow-colored race, or Asian race, in other words. To be precise, this was what you call on Earth the Chinese race, and they had inhabited Bacchorini for about 400 years prior to the blacks. 
the two races witnessed numerous revolutions during their time on the planet. We tried to provide relief, assistance, and guidance, but in spite of our intervention, wars broke out periodically. These, along with the natural disasters occurring on the planet, served to thin the ranks in both races. Finally, a nuclear war broke out on such a grand scale that the entire planet was plunged into darkness and temperatures fell to minus 40 of your degrees Celsius. Not only did atomic radiation destroy the population, but cold and lack of food accomplished the rest. It is a recorded fact that a mere 150 black people and 85 yellow people survived the catastrophe from a population of 7 billion black and 4 billion yellow humans. Our register of survivors was taken just before they began to reproduce and when they had stopped killing each other. What do you mean, killing each other? Let me explain the whole, situa- Let me explain the whole situation to you and you'll be able to understand better. First of all, it is important to explain that those who remained were not, as you might expect, the leaders, well-protected and specially equipped shelters. The survivors comprising three groups of blacks and five groups of yellows, had come, some from private shelters and others from large public shelters. Of course, at the time of the war, there were many more than 235 people in shelters. Indeed, it is believed they were over 800,000 in all. Following months of confinement in the darkness and intense cold, they were eventually able to risk going outside. The blacks ventured out first, finding almost no trees, no plants, and no animals to speak of on their continent. It was a group isolated from their shelter in the mountains who first knew cannibalism. Because of the lack of food, when the weakest died, they were eaten. Then in order to eat, they had to kill each other and that was the worst catastrophe on their planet. Another group near the ocean managed to survive by eating the only living things left on the planet, which were not too contaminated. That is the mollusk, some fish, and crustaceans. They still had unpolluted drinking water thanks to very ingenious installations enabling them to obtain water from incredible depths. Of course, many of these people still died as a result of lethal radiation on the planet and from eating fish, which were filled with radioactivity. Much the same course of events occurred in the Yellow's territory so that, as I have said, 150 blacks and 85 yellows remained. Then finally, deaths resulting from the war ceased and reproduction began again. All of this occurred in spite of all the warnings they had received. It should be said that before this almost total decimation, both the black race and the yellow race had attained a very high level of technological advance. The people lived in great comfort. They worked in factories, private and government, enterprises, offices, just as happens now on your planet. They had a strong devotion to money, which to some meant power, and to others, wiser, it meant well-being. 
They worked an average 12 hours per week. On Bacaturini, a week comprises six days of 21 hours each. They tended to the material rather than the spiritual side of their existence. At the same time, they allowed themselves to be duped and led in circles by a structure of politicians and bureaucrats, exactly as in happening as is happening now on Earth. Leaders fool the masses with empty words and motivated by greed or pride, they lead entire nations towards their downfall. Gradually, these two great races began to envy each other. And as there is only one step from envy to hate, eventually they hated each other so much and so completely that the catastrophe occurred. Both possessing very sophisticated arms, they achieved their mutual destruction. Our historical records show then that 235 survived the disaster, six of them being children. These statistics were recorded five years afterwards, and their survival was attributed to cannibalism and certain marine life. They reproduced, not always successfully, as it was not uncommon for babies to be born with horribly misshapen heads or ugly weeping sores. They had to endure all the effects of atomic radiation on human beings. 150 years later, there were 190,000 blacks, men, women, and children, and 85,000 yellows. I speak to you of this 150-year period because this was when both races began to reestablish and when we were able to help them materially. What do you mean, said Michael? Just a few hours ago, you saw our spacecraft stop above the planet Arimo X3 and take samples of soil, water, and air. Did you not? I nodded. Then, Thio resumed, you watched as we quite easily annihilated a mass of giant ants as they attacked the inhabitants of a village. Giant ants about the size of cows, which had been mutated because of the radiation they also had gotten into a nuclear war on that planet, Arimo X3. Imagine that. Ants as big as cows that can cut a man with their mandibles cleanly in half. Indeed, in that particular case, we helped those people by intervening directly. You saw that they were living in a semi-wild state. Yes, but what happened on that planet? Atomic war, my friend. Always and eternally the same story. Don't forget, Michael, that the universe is a gigantic atom, and everything is affected by that. Your body is composed of atoms. My point is, in all galaxies, each time a planet is inhabited, at a certain stage in its evolution, the atom is discovered or rediscovered. Of course, the scientists who discover it are very soon aware that the disintegration of the atom can be a formidable weapon, and at one moment or another, the leaders want to use it, just as a child with a box of matches is driven to set fire to a bale of straw in order to see what will happen. But coming back to the planet Bacaturini, 150 years after the nuclear holocaust, we wanted to help these people. Their immediate need was food, 
still they were subsisting essentially from products of the sea, resorting occasionally to cannibalism to satisfy their omnivorous yearnings. They needed vegetables and a source of meat. Vegetables, fruit trees, grains, animals, all that was edible had disappeared from the planet. There remained just enough inedible planet, plants and bushes to replenish the oxygen in the atmosphere. At the same time, an insect resembling in some ways your praying mantis had survived, and as a result of spontaneous mutation caused by the atomic radiation, had evolved to gigantic proportions. It grew to about eight meters in height and had become extremely dangerous to the people. In addition, this insect, having no natural predator, reproduced rapidly. We flew over the planet, locating the whereabouts of these insects. This was a relatively easy task, thanks to technology that had been at our disposal since time immemorial. When we detected the insects, we destroyed them so that in short time, we had exterminated them. Next, we had to reintroduce livestock, plants, and trees on the planet according to the species known to have adapted climatically to specific regions before the catastrophe. This, too, was relatively easy. It must have taken years for such a task, said Michael. A huge smile lit up Fyro's face. It took just two days, two 21-hour days. Faced with my incredulity, Thyle burst into laughter. She or he laughed so heartily that I joined in, still wondering, however, if the truth was being stretched somewhat. How could I know? What I was hearing was so fantastic. Perhaps I was hallucinating. Perhaps I had been drugged. Perhaps I would soon wake up in my very own bed. No, Michael, interrupted Sio, reading my thoughts. I wish you would stop doubting in this way. Telepathy itself should be enough to convince you. As she uttered this sentence, it struck me that even in the best planned hoax, it would hardly be possible to bring together so many supernatural elements. Thio was able to read my mind like an open book and proved it over and over again. Latoli, one of the other ETs, simply by placing her hand on me, had produced such an extraordinary feeling of well-being, I must acknowledge the evidence. I was well and truly experiencing an extraordinary adventure. And he's talking about the trip to their planet on their spaceship, being there for 10 days and then being brought back. Perfect, Thio agreed aloud. May I continue? Please do, I encouraged. So we help these people materially. But as often when we intervene, we do not allow presence, our presence to be known, and there are several reasons for that. The first is security. The second reason is a psychological one. If we had made these people aware of our existence, and if they had realized we were there in order to help them, they would passively have allowed themselves to be helped and would have felt sorry for themselves. This would adversely affect their will to survive. As you say on Earth, God helps those who help themselves. The third and last reason is the main one. Universal law is well established 
and is as strictly enforced as that which controls the planet's revolutions around their suns. If you make a mistake, you pay the penalty. Immediately, in 10 years' time, or in 10 centuries' time, but errors must be paid for. Thus, from time to time, we are permitted or even advised to offer a helping hand, but we are formally forbidden to serve the meal on the plate. Thus, in two days, we repopulated their planet with several pairs of animals and reestablished numerous plants so that eventually the people could raise the animals and cultivate the plants and trees. They had to start from scratch, and we guided their progress either by dream or telepathy. At times, we did it by means of a voice coming from the heavens. That is to say, the voice came from our spacecraft, but to them it came from heaven. They must have taken you to be God, said Michael. Exactly so, and it is in this way that legends and religions are established, but in cases as urgent as that one was, the end justified the means. Finally, after several centuries, the planet was almost as it had been before the nuclear holocaust. All the same, in some places, deserts had been definitively established. In other spots less affected, the flora and fauna were easily developed. 150,000 years later, the civilization was highly successful, but this time, not only technologically, happily the people had learned their lesson and had also evolved to a high psychic and spiritual level. This occurred in both races, and the blacks and the yellows had, developing, had developed strong bonds of friendship. Thus, peace reigned on the planet, for the legends remained quite clear many of them recorded in writing so that future generations would know exactly what had provoked the nuclear catastrophe and what its consequences had been. As I said earlier, the people knew that their planet was going to become uninhabitable within 500 years. Knowing that there were other planets inhabited and uninhabitable, inhabited and inhabitable in the galaxy, they mounted one of the most serious exploratory expeditions. Eventually, they penetrated your solar system, first visiting Mars, which was known to be inhabited, which was known to be inhabitable, excuse me, and which at the time, in fact, was inhabited. The human beings on Mars had no technology, but by contrast, they were spiritually highly evolved. They were very small people, measuring in height between 120 centimeters and 150 centimeters, maybe about four feet tall, and of mongoloid type. They lived in tribes in huts of stone. The fauna on Mars was scarce. There was a kind of dwarf goat, some very large hair-like creatures, several species of rat, and the largest animal resembling a buffalo, but had the head like a tapir, T-A-P-I-R. There were also some birds and three species of snakes, one of which was quite venomous. The floor was also poor, trees attaining no more than four meters in height. They had two inedible grass that you might compare with buckwheat. The Bucaterinians conducted their research, 
realizing soon that Mars was also cooling down at a rate which indicated that it would be no longer inhabitable in four to 5,000 years. In terms of its flora and fauna, it was barely rich enough to sustain those already living there, let alone cope with an immigrant mass from Bacchaturini. Besides, the planet did not appeal to them. Thus, the two spacecraft headed for Earth. The first landing took place where Australia is now found. At that time, it should be explained that Australia, New Guinea, Indonesia, and Malaysia were all part of one continent. A strait existed about 300 kilometers wide, exactly where Thailand is now found. In those times, Australia possessed a great inland sea fed by several large rivers, so that diverse and interesting flora and fauna flourished there. All things considered, the astronauts chose this country as their first immigration base. I must say, to be more precise, that the black race chose Australia, and the yellow people established themselves where Burma is now. There, too, was a land rich in wildlife. Bases were quickly set up coast on the Bay of Bengal, while the black people constructed their first base on the shores of the inland sea in Australia. Later, further bases were established where New Guinea is presently located. Their spacecraft were capable of super light speeds and took approximately 50 of your Earth years to bring 3,600,000 black people and the same number of yellow race to Earth. This bears witness to the perfect understanding and excellent association between two races determined to survive on a new planet and exist in peace. By common agreement, the aged and infirmed remained on Bacchaturini. The Bacchaturinians had explored all of the planet Earth before establishing their base, bases and were absolutely persuaded that no human life existed before their arrival. Once they thought they had located a humanoid form of life, but on closer inspection, realized they had made contact with a species of large apes. Gravity on Earth was stronger than on their planet, and it was quite uncomfortable initially for the two races, but eventually they adapted very well. In building their towns and factories, they were fortunate to import from Bacchaturini certain materials which were very light and at the same time very strong. I have not yet explained that at that time, Australia was on the equator. Earth rotated on a different axis, taking 30 hours and 12 minutes to complete a rotation and achieve the revolution around its sun in 280 such days. The equatorial climate was not as you will find it today. It was much more humid than now, for the Earth's atmosphere has changed. Herds of large zebras roam the country in company with enormous edible birds referred to as dodos, very large jaguars, and another bird measuring almost four meters in height, which you have called dinor dinornus. In certain rivers, there were crocodiles up to 15 meters in length at 45 feet and snakes 25 to 30 meters long. They, at times, nourished themselves on the new arrivals. Most of the flora and fauna on Earth was totally different from that on Bacchaturini, both from a nutritional and ecological point of view. 
numerous experimental farms were established in an endeavor to acclimatize plants such as sunflower, maize, wheat, sorghum, tapioca, and others. These plants either didn't exist on Earth or else existed in such a primitive state that they couldn't be consumed. The goat and the kangaroo were both imported, but the immigrants were quite partial to these, consuming them in great numbers on their planet. They were particularly keen to raise kangaroos on Earth, experiencing enormous difficulties, however, in acclimatizing them. One of the main problems was food. On Bacchaturini, the kangaroo fed on a fine hardy grass called arulu, which is totally unknown on Earth. Each time the Bacchaturini has tried to grow it, it died, attacked always by millions of microscopic fungi. So it happened that the kangaroos were hand-fed, so to speak, for several decades as they gradually adapted to the grasses on Earth. The black rice persevered in its endeavors and finally succeeded in growing the plant, but it had taken so long that the kangaroos no longer required more than their new pastures. Very much later, some Arulu plants took root, and as there was no animals to eat them, they spread throughout Australia. They still exist under the botanical name Xanoroya and the popular name Black Boys. On Earth, this grass grows much taller and thicker than it did on Bacchaturini. That often happens when species are introduced from other planets. This plant is one of the most rare vestiges of those distant times. It indicates by being found only in Australia along with the kangaroo, that the Bacchaturians remained in that particular part of the planet for a very long time before seeking to colonize other parts. I am about to explain this, but I want first to cite the examples of the kangaroo and the Xenorathora plant so that you might better understand all the problems of adaptation these people had to overcome. Of course, it is only one small example among so many others. The yellow race had settled, as I said, in the hinterland, hinterland of the Bay of Bengal. Most were in Burma, where they too had established cities and experimental farms, principally interested in vegetables. They had imported from Bacchaturini cabbages, lettuce, parsley, coriander, and some others. For fruit, they brought the cherry tree, the banana, and the orange trees. These last two were difficult to establish, for the climate of the time was generally colder than it is now. Thus, they gave some of the trees to the blacks, who, by contrast, had enormous success with them. In the same way, the yellow people had far greater success in the growing of wheat. In fact, the wheat from Bacchaturini produced enormous grains around the size of a coffee bean, with ears measuring up to 40 centimeters in length. Four varieties of wheat were grown, and the yellow race wanted no time, wasted no time in establishing a very high production level. Did they also bring rice to the planet? Said Michael, no, not at all. Rice is a plant absolutely native to earth, although it was greatly improved by the yellow people on its way to becoming what it is now. To continue, how am I doing on time? 
I've just got a few minutes left. Well, I'm going to put the book down at this time and say, there you go, my friends. That's who the first people were on Earth from the planet Boccaturini, the black race who settled in Australia and the yellow race who settled in China. And some of the ancestors of the black race, besides all over the world, are the aborigines. At one time, actually, they were very tall, but because of gravity over the years, they shrunk in size, suffice it to say. I would guess that at one time they were over seven feet tall when they first arrived. Well, what do you think? Some of you might not believe it, but you should get that book, Abduction to the Ninth Planet. It is my Bible. Besides the Bible, I love the Bible, but that will increase your spirituality in so many ways because these extraterrestrials that are out there have been entrusted with the guardianship of our planet. And there are other extraterrestrials um, like the Greys, which have been trying to make contact with us, and we're in the process of doing so, so we could join the Intergalactic Federation of Sovereign Planets. But a monkey wrench was thrown into those plans when 9-11 happened. We were going to be making contact with them around 2010, at which time we would have been star travelers with them. They would have shared their technology. They would have helped us cure all the diseases on Earth. COVID wouldn't have happened if that time plan had taken place, if that plan had taken place on time. Anyway, my friends, let me ask you. Tonight is a very special night. It's November the 5th, Saturday. And Dr. Richard, Dr. Stephen Greer, excuse me, is the man who is heading the the disclosure project to try to get the governments of the world to come out of the closet, so to speak, with all the information they have on extraterrestrials because they're hiding it from us because they don't want to panic us and also they don't want to, the other nations of the world to get ahead of them as far as creating some new weapon that would help some other country take over the world and maybe destroy us, you know, which is understandable. But on the other hand, don't you want them to come clean on this, to be truthful? I personally can handle it, the truth, you know. I won't panic. I don't know about you. Some people are like that. But it would be such a huge step in our evolution, kind of like when Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon he said, this is one small step for man, one giant step for mankind. Making contact with extraterrestrials would turn us around completely. We would be heading on a new course, and we would survive. We, our survival would be guaranteed. How about that? I promise you, our survival would be guaranteed, because I know we have to police up the bad people in our world, the minority of bullies, tyrants, and dictators, I would say, Estimate them to be about 20%, the other 80%. Good, as I mentioned, decent, family-oriented, loving, kind, generous people in the world like you and me. 
people who believe in the creator, people who don't believe that it all happened by, even if it did happen by accident, you know, it could happen by accident, then logically elsewhere in the universe, anywhere in the universe, that's logical. So based on that theory alone, you know that there's life out there, right? Because if it didn't happen by accident, then there's a creator that created it. But if it happened by accident, then it could happen by accident anywhere in the universe, and there could be life on other planets, any of these planets that they're discovering out there right now with these very sophisticated telescopes like Hubble and the, the James Webb tele Space Telescope, right? Are you familiar with that one, the James Webb Telescope? Yeah, yeah. And so there is life out there. And these extraterrestrials from the book, Abduction to the Ninth Planet, they are our mentors. They are guiding us in accordance with the higher powers from the spiritual beings, the great spiritual beings of the universe, our mother and father God in heaven, and the supreme creator, maybe the, the mother and father God of the great central sun of the Milky Way galaxy. You know, each solar system has a mother and father God in control of the solar system. That's the truth. I lie to you, not. You will know that one day, probably maybe after you transition from this existence into the afterlife. Hopefully you'll realize it before then because it's like graduating with honors. Do you want to graduate from Earth with honors or do you want to go to the next life, the afterlife, saying, oh, I wish I'd known better. Oh, if I'd only done this, if I'd only done that. Oh, it's too late now. Such remorse and regret people have when they have the opportunity to learn the truth. Be truth seekers, okay? Think outside the box. Don't believe everything you hear, especially from your parents and their parents. Tradition, you know how strong tradition is. You're supposed to walk alone, stand alone. Please do that. You can. You're going to die alone, right? They're going to bury you alone or cremate you alone. You stand alone. Even Madonna said that. We all stand alone. What was that song? Like a prayer. It's true. So be a truth seeker. One minute. That's all I got, one of my friends. One minute. That's all I have. It's been good. Again, I'm the Reverend Blake Ruby. You've been listening to Church of the Soul's Evolution. It's not about religion. It's about spirituality. We are spirits in the material world. I love you. And here's a prayer. Supreme Creator, Master of the Universe, male and female, we love you. You're awesome. Thank you for the miracles of all creation. We're very grateful. Please help us to survive. Bless us and help us in any way we need it. Thank you for everything. Amen. Goodbye, everybody. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.